Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. You're excited about that? It's just how I wrote it for you. Thank you. Just kidding. Actually, I'm excited to be here this morning. I hope you're excited to be here this morning just to worship Christ together. So I know we have some people with us for the first time today, so I hope that you feel very welcomed here. You, we're so glad that you're with us today. And it is a privilege and a joy for me to be able to uh, bring something from the Bible today to you. Dan and uh, Christy, of course, are away for a week on vacation. And so he gave me the opportunity to come out and like a, like a baseball closer, I get to close the deal. I get to, I get to close the series on Colossians, but uh, I, I'm, I'm pleased to be able to do that. Uh, Dan asked if I would take some time and say some things about myself. I'm not going to do that really. I, I just uh, maybe a couple sentences because this is about Jesus. This isn't about me, right? So, but uh, Diane and I have been coming uh, to North Bay Christ the Kings for about six years. At first it was part-time because we were still transitioning out of another situation. But uh, when we moved here six years ago, we began to transition here more and more until finally this became our church home. And uh, what a great church. What, we just love Dan and Christy and the, the pastoral team. And, you know, we're just fed so well by Dan each week uh, and led so well. Uh, and we love the congregation. We love what God is doing in and through the congregation. So we are so delighted to be a part of a, of a church where Christ is alive and things are happening. So uh, great to be here with you this morning to, to have this opportunity. Uh, I, I'm on your church council as of recently. Diane and I are one of the prayer teams here, especially after this service. You'll often see us up here at the front as we will be this, this morning to pray with people who would like that. And uh, uh, I'm in a quad we just uh, started in a small group, so we're kind of immersed now in the, in the North Bay experience. So uh, Diane's a great prayer intercessor. She has ministries as well. So we're just delighted to be here with you and, and be a part of you this morning. In the past few weeks, we have been engaged in a series called This is Colossians. And in this series, Dan, with the help of Tyler and Grant, have been leading us through uh, this book, asking the question, who do you think you are? And the, the, uh, the, the big idea behind this, of course, is, is who you think you are depends on who you think Jesus is. And now I get to be the closer and, and bring this to a conclusion, but in these last three weeks, Dan and, and uh, Tyler and Grant have been doing a great job of, of presenting these terrific images of Jesus in Colossians, and then talking also about what that means to us as believers and followers of Christ. If uh, you have not been with us this morning, let me just say briefly, the, the book of Colossians, what's happening here is that Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, and they're, they're in, immersed in a, in a culture surrounding them where syncretism has been heavily at work. And syncretism is when you're blending ideas and philosophies and religions. And it's just sort of a Heinz 57 heresy is what's going on there. And all, all sorts of things are happening as a result of that. And some Christian core doctrines are being challenged. 
For example, uh, this syncretism, which went under the name also of Gnosticism, meaning to know, there was this idea that there was a special knowledge one had to have uh, to be saved, and only a few could find it. But they also believed that, uh, that the flesh was evil. And so God could not have come in the flesh, as Jesus did, because flesh is evil. And so they rejected that. But friends, if you take the incarnation of Christ out of the gospel, there's no gospel, right? And so this was a serious challenge to the thinking of these people in Colossae. And Paul was writing to them so that he was reviewing with them some, some core Christian beliefs so that they wouldn't be led astray. It was a spiritual battle. And it's a spiritual battle for us as well. That battle continues. Think about it. I mean, we're surrounded by other religions that may have a sprinkling of Christian ideas in, in them, but, but they're, they're not true to the, to the, to the Word of God. Uh, think about the, the social gospel, this idea of good works, or the gospel of prosperity, that if you do certain things, God will richly bless you. Or what I call the American gospel, where it's no longer, the, for a lot of people, the word of God that's the standard of truth, but it's whatever society says is right and okay. And so we're surrounded with influences, and the danger for us also is that we begin, without even thinking about it, to let some of that thinking creep into our own thinking so that a little bit at a time and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, we, we stray from the centrality of Christ and the core Christian doctrines and pretty soon we're over here and the central truth is over there. So we need this, what we've been hearing in Colossians as much as they did. And so we want to... Uh, to acknowledge that, and I want you to know that as we bring this to a conclusion this morning, we're going to have a chance to respond to God in two ways. We're going to respond in prayer, and then flowing out of that, we're going to respond in communion as we celebrate what Christ has done and made possible. So be aware of that, and be listening for what the Spirit of God would say to you this morning. He says, my word won't return void. If we're open to what God wants to say to us, if we're seeking what God would say to us, he, there may be something he speaks to you this morning that needs some attention. And let's be open to that. Let's be seeking that from him. Now, much of this series has been a, a powerful reminder, as I said, of who Jesus is and what that means for us as individuals. But now we come to the end of chapter 3 and the uh, first half of chapter 4. And we were brought to ask a question. It's not a question that Paul asks in the text, but it's a question that we, we need to ask. And that is, okay, what now? What the, how do we apply this? And the answer is, in our relationships. In our relationships. Which fits so well with the rest of Scripture. Because you realize, don't you, that our faith is at its core, at its essence, is about relationships. First of all, with God, and then with others. Jesus made that very clear when he said, you can take all the teachings of the Old Testament and prophets. He said, if you boil it all down, combine it all together, you can, you can put it this way. He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength and love others as yourself. Our faith is a faith about relationships. And so our central truth, or our sermon in a sentence, if you want to say it that way, today could be this, that the reality of our faith is revealed 
in our relationships to God and others. That's the, that's the sermon in a sentence. So once again, we ask the question, who do you think you are? And today's answer is, you and I are a servant of Christ and of others. I've got a, a, a visual this morning for us. Hopefully some of you have been wondering, what is that chair doing up there with a tablecloth over it? And sometimes Dan likes to use visuals, and sometimes I like to use visuals just to kind of help drive the point home. So it's time for the reveal. And what I've got for us this morning is a mirror. Oops, sorry. <laughs> kind of caught you there, didn't I? A mirror. Now, what is a mirror about? What does it do? It reflects, right? Now, this mirror is a, is a very special one to me. To me, sorry. I forget about the lights. It's very special to me because uh, the frame it, it's in came to me from my grandparents, who are no longer with us. But when it came to me, it, was, uh, it had a picture in it of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. It's a well-known picture, very beautiful picture. And uh, uh, a point came after we'd had it for a few years. We said, well, let's do something different. Let's, let's turn it into a nice mirror. But to do that, we didn't want to get rid of Jesus, so we just kind of slipped in behind the mirror. So think about that for a moment. <laughs> think about that. Behind this mirror, behind this reflection, is Jesus. And that's, in essence, what I want to talk about this morning. I'm going to put this over here as a visual reminder for us. But we want to be a reflection of him in all of our relationships. When others encounter us, when they uh, experience us, don't we want them to see a reflection of Jesus in us? And that's our message for today. We're going to read the passage a few verses at a time this morning in uh, chapters 3 and 4. But one of the things that, that Paul would say to us uh, from, the, from the passage today is, and as we think about this reflection of, of Christ, is be Christ to your family. Be Christ to your family. And here's a truth you can live by. Godly living at home promotes disciples, not victims. Godly living at home promotes disciples, not victims. Beginning in chapter 3 at verse 18, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. <clears throat> These uh, words are almost uh, identical to the words that Paul writes to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 5, and I've used those words many times in, in marriage ceremonies. But also that similar to the words that Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapters 2 and 3, when he's writing to the scattered and persecuted church, and and they were being persecuted, not just by, by the Romans, not just by Jewish hardliners, but by people within their own families. And he's saying to them, reflect Christ in those relationships. As we think about how we relate to others, and especially those right now, those in our family, you know, that to be a servant of Christ and to be a reflection of Christ to those in our family, we have to have the attitude of Christ. I love the passage in Philippians chapter 2, which uh, some of you are familiar with, but it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God 
something to be grasped or held on to selfishly, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. You and I, to be servants of Christ and of others, need to have the attitude of Christ. I want you to think about this. We, we live in a society and a culture that is very service-oriented. When you go out to the restaurant, you go to Woods, or wherever it is you're out and around, this is a service-oriented society. But it often comes without a servant attitude, doesn't it? Have you ever had those people? Yeah, we have. All of us have. A servant-oriented society without, often without servant attitude. To many people, service means serve us. To many people, it means serve us. But to be like Jesus, and starting with your family, your attitude and my attitude has to be that of, of Christ, who took the form of a servant. And our relationships are to be characterized by the attitude and the, and the virtues of Christ, very much like what Grant talked to us about last week in chapter 3, beginning at verse 12, where it says, put on or clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, forgive one another, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We're to have those kinds of attitudes and virtues that work in our lives uh, as Christ works in us and as we express our life to others. Now, <laughs> where, where do we get more opportunity than at home to put that into practice. Think about that. Who sees us more for what we are than those at home? My wife hopefully won't say amen to this, but she's here, but I have to apologize so often, you know, because I just say and do things, you know, and I have to apologize. But she sees me for who I really am. And the people in our, in our family they're around us so much, and they, they see us. That's where we let our, ourselves really come through, don't we? And that's, uh, that can sometimes really put our emotions and our attitudes to the test. Do you realize that God wants to use you in your family, but that he also wants to use your family as he forms and shapes you? Our family life, for all of us, is our greatest classroom as we, uh, as we grow and as we transform into the likeness of Christ. And, and uh, sometimes we blow it. Sometimes we have to ask for forgiveness. I do. I'm sure you do. But uh, that's our classroom. And uh, he's, uh, uh, to the wives, he says in, in verse 18, then he says in those relationships, he says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Man, did I feel set up by Dan when I went back and looked at the passage he gave me. But, and then he said he was going to be away on vacation. Right, right. <laughs> but uh, these are very important words. And, and uh, it's not talking about uh, inferiority and superiority, that kind of a thing at all. He's talking in the passage here about a mutual submission between members of the family and where the wife is acknowledging and accepting the God-given role she has as a helpmate to her husband, who has been given the fearful responsibility by God of being the loving spiritual leader of the home. So there's that kind of thing going on. And to the husbands, then he says, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. So 
you know, the husband's got to be submissive too, because in order to have this kind of relationship, the husband has to be willing to put aside his preferences and his wants in order to do what's best for the relationship. It's not about I, it's about us. It's not about my rights, it's about what's right for this relationship. And so we're called to this mutual sense of submission. And uh, when you have that kind of thing going on, when we're submitting to one another, even remembering as Christ submitted to the will of the Father, then you have a marriage where you will find a fulfilling relationship. You have a loving environment. You have a respect for one another that drives each person to think of the other above themselves. But kids, he's got something for you here too. (laughs) He says, children, obey your parents in everything. Now, I didn't say that. This, This said that. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Even here, he's speaking about a submission to your parents in everything, for it pleases the Lord. Submitting to them, respecting that leadership, and not insisting on what you want, but on what God wants and on what your parents want, because they love you and you love them. And then dads, he throws in this this special word to us. He says... uh, Fathers, don't embitter your children, or your version may say exasperate, or they will become discouraged. What's that all about? I, uh, I remember when we were raising our kids, and we have four. They're now all wonderful young, uh, they're adults, and they're wonderful. Yes, they are. But, um, <laughs> sorry, I just had to get that in because my son's here this morning, so I had to make sure I, I said that. But, uh, you, you know, I, how many of you are firstborns? I'm a firstborn. Let's face it, we we were an experiment. (laughs) Right? We were. And when you have children, especially with the firstborn, it's an experiment. We don't know what we're doing. Maybe we still don't know what we're doing. But I remember with my firstborn, uh, when she was still kind of young, I was writing her hard every day about the way she was keeping her room. Because I'm kind of a neat freak. I, I've been tempered by the Spirit of God a little bit there. But, you know, I, I'm kind of a neat freak. And, and uh, so I wrote her, and I wrote her hard. And, and I could sense after a while a rigidity starting to set in. And I, I sensed that if, uh, if, we, if I didn't uh, let up or do things differently, I could turn her against that relationship. I could embitter her. And that's the kind of thing that Paul is talking about here. Fathers, don't do what's going to exasperate or, or uh, embitter your children, but in love, do what's best for them while respecting them and seeking Christ's will for them. Now, let, let me hit the pause button here for a moment. I recognize that not every home is centered around the priority of following Jesus. Not every marriage has two partners that both love Jesus. Not every kid has two parents or two parents who love Jesus. But even where that may exist, where maybe not everyone involved in your situation follows Christ, there's still the principle here of acting in love, doing what's best for the other, and what will produce persons and relationships that are strong and mature. See that? You can't control how that other person will respond. All you can control is how you're going to respond in situations and to them. And uh, you can control that. 
But where you have an attitude of love and respect and mutual submission, you have an, a- an environment that encourages the development of mature followers of Jesus. But where that doesn't exist, you have an environment that produces people who feel more like victims, who feel used, who feel uh, taken for granted. And that will only have the impact of spiraling into, you know, into dysfunction and, and, uh, and distancing from one another. And friends, we've got too many victims and we need more disciples, right? There's no guarantee that if we're a reflection of Christ to those in our home, that they'll all come to know Jesus. There's no guarantee. <clears throat> Excuse me. But what could encourage that more than for them to see Jesus reflected in you? What could encourage it more? So here's our motive. Here's our motive. Loving each other is to love God. Pleasing each other pleases God. And that promotes harmony and, and, uh, and uh, order. It promotes respect and love. So let me ask us the question this morning. How are you doing with your relationships at home? Maybe you have to admit there's something that needs some work. Maybe you need to backtrack and ask some forgiveness. Maybe there's something you need to address. And we're going to have a chance to pray about that in just a few moments. But before we do, I want to I say that Paul would also say to us, be Christ to your employer or to those who lead you or are over you. And here's a truth we can live by. Let your good works include good work. Chapter 3, beginning at verse 22, says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Let your good works include good work. That's a reflection of Christ. <clears throat> my parents taught me many things. I'm, one of the things my dad taught me I'm grateful for is he taught me to work hard, and he taught me to work well, and he taught me not to give up too quickly. One of the hard lessons I had toward that was uh, when I uh, was in college, and I wanted to help earn money toward, I was going to Seattle Pacific, and I wanted to help earn some money, and, and I heard about these great knives called Cutco Knives. So, so, oh, some of you have heard of it too, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I had these grand visions of, of selling these knives and earning money and helping put my way through school. So I bought the kit, I took the training, and I went out and I started knocking on doors. And you know what happened? <laughs> I found out that I hated anything door to door. I hated it. It was just not me. And so I went home discouraged, and I said, I'm not doing this anymore. And my dad said, oh, yes, you are. And he said, you're going to go out every day, and you're going to make at least 10 calls before you come home. So I sort of submitted, and I went out in the days to come, and I would look for homes where there was nobody at home. <laughs> There's one. There's two until I had 10 of them, and then I was home. And in all of my glorious experience as a cut cone knife door-to-door salesman, I sold one little paring knife 
Isn't that impressive? <laughs> now, I brought a great set of knives into our marriage. <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't wasted. But let your good works include good work. Let your, your actions and your relationship to those who are over you be a reflection of Jesus to them. Show a sincerity of heart and be a reflection of your relationship to Christ out of reverence for him, as if that other person was Jesus himself. Let the way you work and the way you follow others and the way you act to those who are over you make a loud statement about your faith. There's an old saying I like very much. It says, work is worship. And I like that as we think about our own lives as Christians, uh, because you, you realize, don't you, that, that worship isn't just what we do here on Sunday. It, and it isn't just when we sing songs and when we pray. Worship is about all of life. Everything in our lives is to be an expression of our devotion to God, and that's worship. And that includes our work. Now, maybe your job sucks. <laughs> Can I say that? Uh, maybe it's boring. Maybe it's temporary. Maybe you don't see it leading anywhere. Maybe your boss is unfair or rude. But let your work be a reflection of your relationship to Christ. Because here's our motive. Here's our motive. It's knowing who and what you're really working for. You're not just putting in time. You're redeeming time for the glory of Christ. You hear that? You're not just putting in time. You are redeeming time for the glory of Christ. I love this uh, statement by J.D. Greer, a book I'm reading called Gaining by Losing. He says this, Serving Jesus at work is about doing your work for the glory of God and the benefit of his creation and leveraging appropriate opportunities to make disciples through those relationships as you go through life. Isn't that good? I like that. Be Christ to those over you. But Paul would also say to us, be Christ to those you lead. You lead. Here's a truth we can live by. Doing what's right and fair will reap the greatest reward and influence in an unfair world where right and wrong are often confused. It's kind of a long sentence, I know, so let's say it again. Doing what's right and fair will reap the greatest reward and influence in an unfair world where right and wrong are often confused. Chapter 4, verse 1, he speaks to masters. He says, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. If relationships are ultimately important, as we're saying they are this morning, just as important as how you respond to and work for and act toward those who lead you is how you lead others. And that goes for in the home, at school, in the neighborhood, wherever you have an opportunity to influence others in a leadership kind of way. When, when we read about a master and a slave in the scriptures, you know, that, that kind of relationship, the master could do anything he wanted with a slave. But as we think about us and our leadership of others, as God's people, we're to act as stewards who are entrusted by God with those under our authority and influence, treating them in ways that positively re reflect on what we say we believe and on the Christ that we follow. I, I, you know, I, I, I've had some bosses in the past that haven't really gotten that. And you have too, I'm sure. 
I, I remember my first job out of college. I graduated from Seattle Pacific with a degree in political science, and I got a job with a state legislator in Oregon as a researcher. And I was excited. And I, uh, but he lived in another part of the state, and I never got a lot of information at first, but he said, I'm going to be in Salem on such and such a date. So I, so I thought, great, let's get together and have lunch. And, I, and so he said, okay, we'll get together. So uh, the day came, and... Uh, I thought it would be a great opportunity to start building a relationship and get clarification on what he really expected of me, what I could really, how I could really help him. Uh, so I showed up at the Capitol building, the cafeteria, we got our food, we sat down at a table, and I, I began to kind of just say something uh, uh, at that point. And then he cut me off, and, 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 and uh, in essence, he said to me, okay, what do you got for me? And somehow, he was under the impression that I was there to, uh, you know, for a uh, heavy-duty business agenda, and I was supposed to have some sort of research or something. I don't know what he was expecting, because I'd never been really clarified. And when he found out that wasn't the case, he raked me over the coals. I don't know if I've ever been talked to like that before or since by a person. Wine, 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 I know. I'm okay now. I, it took me a while. But therapy, you know, time, prayer. It... But actually, it, it really impacted me because I went home for two or three hours. I literally sat on the floor just reeling from that emotional, an emotional wreck, just trying to comprehend what had just happened. And the only motivation I felt coming out of that meeting was to get another job. And I did. But, you know, that's not the kind of person we want to work for, the kind of leader we want to be. We want to be We've all had bosses, and I've had them, who people over me who've helped me to grow as a person and grow as a leader. And I, that's the kind of leader I want to be to others, and I'm sure that you do as well. Because here's our motive. Here's our motive. How we treat others will reflect how we hope to be treated by God. And as you lead others, you may even make some enemies. Your faith may make enemies even. But remember who and what you're living for. It's not about you. It's not about advancing your own interests. It's not about making you look good. It's about Jesus and making him look good. It's the Lord Christ you are serving as you lead others. Amen? Then lastly, he would say to us today, be Christ to outsiders. And he's talking about people outside the church. Outsiders. And here's a truth we can live by. Every encounter with another maybe an opportunity from God. I didn't say is, but it may be an opportunity. In chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, he speaks to the slaves, and he says, slaves, obey your earthly master. In, oh, no, pardon me, not, not the there. Chapter 4 at uh, verses 5 and 6, pardon me. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Every encounter might be an opportunity from God. That's why we need to always have our spiritual Bluetooth on. Now, think of the places that you typically are. Think of the places you're going to typically be this week. And in how many of those places do you encounter outsiders? Probably all of them. All of them. Now, he, and what about insiders? He doesn't address that in the passage here. He was writing to insiders about their, their, their relationships with others, and he addresses the insiders elsewhere. But, but here's our motive as we think about our relationship to outsiders. Our motive is to share the love and compassion of Christ for every person and to help them know Christ and his plan for them. Isn't that right? 
Don't you want that for your family members and your friends and people you know, your neighbors and people you know who don't yet know Christ? Don't you want that for them? I do. And maybe as God gives you an opportunity in those relationships to say something, at times it may just be uh, to plant a spiritual seed of some sort. It may be to water something that somebody else has already planted. Or you might be the right person at the right time in the right place to lead them over the threshold of faith. And there's nothing more exciting than that. But whatever the situation, you, if we are available to God, God will use us. You may not have a dramatic story of conversion to Christ. You may not even have a lot of Bible knowledge. You may not have a lot of life experience as a Christian. But you can be generous to others. You can show compassion. You can be kind. You can be encouraging. You can offer kind words to people. You can share your story or your experience of what Christ has done for you. Nobody can refute that, right? But whatever the encounter is, ask the Holy Spirit to guide your words so that they are appropriate to the situation and said with grace. And ask Him to help you listen I know I'm guilty so often of thinking about the next thing I'm going to say, and I don't hear what was just said. But if we will learn to listen to others and listen to the Holy Spirit, I believe he'll tell us what to say, because he promises to do that. And if you'll just be available, he'll use you. That is a challenge for all of us. It is for me, especially because there are times I don't, I'm tired. I'm cranky. I don't want to talk to anybody. And I'm also a bit of an introvert. Uh, there's stronger introvert in me than extrovert, I think, because I need space sometimes. So do you, some of you. So I don't always feel, you know, my Bluetooth goes off. But I, we need to have our spiritual Bluetooth on all the time because you never know when God is going to give you an opportunity to say something or be a reflection of Christ to that person, Right? So the question we started with, we conclude with this morning, who do you think you are? May all of us be reflections of Christ in all of our relationships, 24-7, wherever we're at, whoever we're with, whatever we're doing, because you know and love Christ and you want to be a reflection of him that brings a flavor of heaven to all your relationships. Amen? Amen. Let's pray about that right now. Let's pray. And as we bow in prayer, I, I have to ask, because I don't know all of you, I, do you have that first and foremost relationship? Do you know Jesus? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Do you, are we just going to live like victims of life and live to please ourselves and others? Or are we going to realize that real life and love and fulfillment doesn't come from this world. It comes from with, above and within as Jesus works in us and through us. Are you just going to do life or are you going to have life? And so this morning I want you to think about this. You can only be Christ to others when you know Christ yourself. And if you realize this morning, if you have doubt about that relationship, and you recognize what he's done for you and how much he loves you, and you want to follow him, would you just make that your prayer to him this morning and say something like, Lord, I, I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want to follow you. 
Forgive me for the sins I've committed. Help me to live for you. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. He says, if we, he's standing at the door of your heart knocking. He says that in Revelation 3.20. He says, if you open the door, I'll come in. And he will. And if you want to clarify that relationship this morning, would you make that your prayer as we spend these next moments in prayer and in communion? But I also want to say you can only be like Christ when the Spirit of Christ rules in your heart. Because you can't do this on your own. I can't either. And maybe you've accepted Christ. Maybe you are a Christian. But do you know that you're also a temple of the Holy Spirit who wants to fill you and have full ownership in your life? And would you be, maybe he's pressing on you this morning. Maybe there's been an area or two in your life where you've been holding back on him or you've been excluding God. Would you say to him, Lord, I'm not holding back anymore. I'm all out for you. I'm all in. Come into my life fully by your Holy Spirit. I give you charge. I give you control. Live in me and live through me. Would you make that your prayer this morning? Or perhaps there's something else that God is speaking to you this morning. Would you just respond back to him in prayer in these moments now and in the, in the moments to come? And as an extension of our prayer this morning, we're also going to celebrate communion. Something that Jesus instituted for his followers. And if you're here this morning and you're still on that journey toward God, that's okay. We're, we're glad you're here. But you'll, you'll just want to let that pass, the bread and the cup pass you by. And just think about what that means this morning. And, and we won't think any less of you for that. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you this morning. And... As we take the bread, as we take the cup this morning, hold on to it until we've all been served. But let's continue to pray. Pray with humility. Pray with thanksgiving. Pray with repentance if needed. And thank God for that, that first and foremost relationship between you and him made possible by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because when we take communion, every time we take communion, we are proclaiming the gospel. We are remembering what Jesus did, and we're looking forward to him coming again. And in taking that bread and that wine, we also, we look to the past, and we find courage for the present, and we find hope for the future. And we find help, such as the help we need in all of our relationships. So would you continue to pray about that? as you receive the element this morning, and then we'll partake of it together. So those of who are serving, come forward.